Grace and peace to you from God our Father and from our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. Please, please be seated. The story of the transfiguration from Matthew chapter 17 is not the point of Jesus' ministry, but it leads to the point. It puts us in the right direction. It gets us thinking and framed in an in a, in a understanding about who He is and what He's all about. It puts us on the pathway to the cross. And the cross, that's, that's the Super Bowl, that's the World Series, that's the, that's the whole enchilada right there, that's, that's where it all, all happens. But the transfiguration, big day for Peter, James, and John, for Jesus, for Moses and Elijah, for God the Father, but the best was yet to come. The best of Jesus was yet to be, yet to happen. This is almost my 30th year at St. John's. My family came here in 1993. I remember even getting the phone call from Pastor Esch. And it was the coldest night that had been that winter in, southern, in uh, northern Wisconsin. And we had an electric heater in our apartment that it was so cold on the outside that we had frost on the inside of our windows. And you could take a scraper and get the frost off. It was awful. I mean... It was okay, right? God sent Jonah to Nineveh. He sent me to Chippewa Falls. But ironically enough, I'm preaching in Wisconsin next week, so be that as it may. I came back here in February of 1993 with my wife. We were both about 27 at the time, and our little boy, who was about one and a half, and now my son will be 29 next month, and my daughter just turned 25, and we have a grandkid on the way, and Lots of pretty cool things going on. But I remember sitting and visiting with Pastor Esch that I came in February by the following fall. I said, if I'm going to be an effective youth pastor, I need to be up at, at the high schools. Regularly and routinely, we visited Orange High and played cards with the kids at lunch. Regularly and routinely, we were at Villa Park and Foothill High School. Regularly and routinely and every day for football practice, I was at a Lutheran High School of Orange County. Pastor Esch said, it's super good. If you're up there, you need to know the young people and their parents. It'll be the best ministry you've ever done. And he was right. Working with uh, young people and a team, going and watching a football program be built up from the bottom up and participating in that was one of the most rewarding things I've ever done. This last Thursday, I did a funeral for a, a, a lady who'd been instrumental as a volunteer leader in that, Nancy Kirsten, and Nancy passed away after a long bout with uh, cancer and dementia and Parkinson's, and, and her son, Howie, some of you may remember, Howie worked for me, and we changed hearts and lives. From 1982, when I graduated from high school, to 1993, when I started helping traditions and things changed quite a bit at, at Orange Lutheran. And it used to be that you, you, you held on to those things as someone who knows it and loves it. I'm used to this, and I love this, and this is cool, and I hope it never changes. And, and then you go away, and you come back, and things, things change. Since 1993, one of the traditions before the Lancers blow out onto the, on the field is that they say this comment, to which is, uh, the, the comment is written by a gentleman named Anonymous. If a task be once begun, leave it not till it is done. And be it a labor, great or small, do it well. 
or not at all. One more time. If a task be once begun, leave it not till it is done. And be it a labor, great or small, do it well or not at all. Every halftime speech ended with that. And the guys are ready to go out and kill somebody. And they don't say, whether great or small, it sounds more like this. If a task be once begun, leave it not till it is done. And be it a matter, great or small, do it well or not at all. And they strap on their helmets and they put the mouthpiece in their mouth and they go out and get after it. And I get goosebumps just thinking about it. It was inspiration and motivation. That little, weak, small, slow football players had that made them tough and aggressive and excellent because they did what they did, whether great or small, to the very best of their ability, sometimes winning and sometimes losing. The pregame speech was inspiring for everybody. In our text today from Matthew chapter 17, verses 1 through 9, Jesus is having a, a, a pregame speech with Moses and Elijah, with Peter, James, and John. And there's a lot going on. And it ends with those marvelous words of, of God the Father. This is my son whom I love with him. I am well pleased. Jesus is on his way to the cross in the weeks that face him, he's going to preach with greater intensity. It's going to draw people to him like never before in both affirmation and controversy. He's going to heal sick people, chastise the arrogant religious people. He's going to do things at a rate that is so incredible that at the end, the crowd will dissipate. The appropriate fence that were prophesied will be fulfilled. And the Son of God will be hanging on a cross dead and ready to be buried, seemingly defeated, but the big conflict isn't over. If a task is once begun. The text this morning answers the question, who is Jesus? In this story, we see Jesus for exactly who he is and what he's all about. He's the bigger and better Moses. Moses, the greatest leader in the history of God's people and in the history of God's work among people. Moses led the people out of Egypt and performed miracle after miracle. And at the end of his life, after it was all done, he walked with God. Jesus, bigger and better than Moses, leading people not from the slavery of a nation to freedom in another land, but leading God's people from the slavery of sin into the freedom of God's love. Jesus didn't come to demand strict adherence to his law and the Ten Commandments. Rather, he came to fulfill the commandments perfectly so that in his death, he would bring life and salvation for all humankind. He came to lead us and all people from sin and death to grace and salvation, from doubt to faith, from judgment to grace, from being lost to a sense of being found, from a sense of not knowing who we are to a sense of meaning. Who is Jesus? He's the Savior of the world. And he's getting ready to do his best work as he bids farewell to Peter, James, John, Moses, Elijah, and his father. If a task be once begun, and Elijah's there. I can't wait to get to heaven and talk to Elijah. Elijah, ministry of prophet, 
leading people not into sophisticated gyrations of theological gobbledygook, but bringing the message of God's grace when he would stand up and speak, bringing a message of, of God's judgment. And here's what this means to God's people. Elijah, the greatest prophet ever. Jesus, bigger and better. A bigger, better, more complete message. Earlier in Matthew's gospel, Jesus gets up and with a prophetic voice says these words. Blessed are the meek. Blessed are the brokenhearted. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. Blessed are you, Jesus proclaims. And in that, he delivers God's love for all humanity, for you and me. Jesus demonstrating that day after day in his work and ministry, the biggest, the best prophet ever, getting ready to do his best work, where from the cross he would say, Father, forgive them. And where with resurrection power he would set hearts on fire. He's getting ready to do his best work, if a task be once begun. And if that wasn't enough, right? If that wasn't enough, the voice of the Father through the cloud, if you wondered who Jesus is, here it is. This is my son whom I love. With him, I am well pleased. And so Jesus is ready to turn his face towards Jerusalem and get after the suffering and the death and the cross and the resurrection and do that all for us. And that's the shortest sermon I've preached in two years. <laughs> if a task be once begun, and I ain't done yet, oh, do it well or not at all. The work of Jesus is to redeem us. The big event, the big event, his whole earthly life is geared to is on the way, on the way to the cross. And the question to ask in our hearts for a while is, so what? So Moses, Elijah, Peter, James, John, so what? It's a nice story. The choir sings, the organ plays, the preacher preaches, we pray, we go, so what? Here's two so what's about Matthew 17 and the work of Jesus for you and me. The guy on the cross, Jesus, leads us to the answer of the question, who am I? Dr. Robert Clinton, professor from Fuller Seminary in Pasadena, did his life's work on, on figuring out how people answer that question. And he said, in the first third of a person's life, that's the, end, that's the question we're, we're working on. We raise our children, we work with our grandchildren, we, we try to figure out through some trial and error, who am I? And some would say, well, I answer that question by my career or by what I participate in. I am an athlete. I am a scholar. I'm a musician. I am a doctor. I am an attorney. I am a business person. I am a leader. I am a follower. I am a support person. I'm an administrative person. Who are you? For some, that answer can be rooted in genetics and, and their system that they came from. And they say, who I am when I close my eyes, I don't like to think about. Because I'm broken and the ongoing pain of how I identify myself leads me to a dark place and not a place of 
light. But this morning, all of us are led to the cross of Jesus Christ. The task of our identity accomplished for us by Jesus in his death and by our baptism into the death of Jesus Christ. We are identified as children of God. We belong to him. And that gives meaning to the roles of life that we take on. Husband, wife, father, mother, child, parent, worker, servant. In his death and in his resurrection, he calls us to be his children. And the reality of who we are is found in Christ. And that doesn't change because you can't take Jesus away from his ministry. And you can't rewrite history and write him out. The reality of who we are is found in Christ. And he heals up the broken past. He puts our life on a platform that lasts a whole lifetime. And gives meaning to all the tasks and all the stages of our lives. In all that is once begun, we are children of God. And one more little piece. The guy on the cross also answers this question. So who says? Who says you're a child of God? Who says that's your identity? So that's a question of authority. Because if the bigger authority says it, then it becomes what he says. The answer isn't found in some prophet who came and went, or a leader who had a season and then has none, but a voice rooted in eternity. God himself answers the question, who says so, with these words. This one is my son whom I love, with him I am well pleased. God says you belong to him through the death of Jesus on the cross. And anything that would keep you from God is eliminated in the death of Jesus in his sacrifice for us. Who am I? I'm a child of God. And who says so? Jesus himself. In a word that will never be taken back. We are children of God through faith in Jesus Christ. If a task be once begun, leave it not till it is done. And be it a matter, great or small, do it well or not at all. Jesus started well and finished accomplishing the job of bringing for us peace with God. In the next weeks, we'll go through the season of Lent. This Wednesday is Ash Wednesday, and April 12th is Easter, so we begin the task of following Jesus through the 40 days of Lent. And that task leads us not just to know Jesus better, but to know ourselves better in Christ. And I encourage you with this as we gather together Wednesday noon and Wednesday night. If a task be thus begun. Time for a new start and a fresh start. King David wrote, create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a steadfast spirit within me. Jesus began his task well, finished his task well, and calls us to be close to him. In the name of Jesus.